0: You see our topic this morning of self-deception and self-perception, how we perceive ourselves. If you would, let's open our Bibles just as a place to really calibrate our thoughts this morning. First Corinthians 10 and verse 12, Paul says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I want to talk through a couple of, um, I guess they'd be psychologists. Uh, I don't know if some of you may or may not know, but I, I thoroughly enjoy um, thinking through psychology of things. Marketing was one of my favorite classes in college, and that's just psychology of buying behavior. It's studying why people do what they do, what makes people make these different decisions, and... Uh, so i'm i 'm i'm fascinated by these things and um, <clears throat> I listen to some of this kind of stuff when i 'm riding here and there and yonder so um, I ran across this guy the other day i i i 've 've listened to some of his things in the past a guy by the name of adam grant uh one of the more one of the things that I saw first of his was a, a ted talk on give and take and you might uh you might go back and look at that but this guy is very evidently. I didn't know this till the past week or so. He's evidently kind of famous in this world. Um, he does a lot of work. Uh, I think they would call him all a something psychologist, where he comes into businesses and stuff, and you know helps uh, through those things. But he teaches at the University of Pennsylvania, written several books. And we'll talk through one of the studies uh, that that he did that I just I, I find uh, to be applicable to what we're talking about today and. You know, when I think about uh, my own life and my the way I think, and and why do I come to the conclusion that I come to, and uh, am I uh, as we talked about this morning? We want to you know study together uh, to to make sure that we're not being inconsistent, that we're you know challenging each other in these ways, and making sure that we're coming and being unified in God's word, that we're you know not being too liberal or too conservative in, in any given area, but that we are truly rightly dividing the word of truth and then correctly applying that either together or in our own lives. And so, um, you know, <clears throat> I, I hope that we are all thinking along those lines. But this is some interesting stuff. Seventy-five percent of couples, when asked, what percent do you contribute to the relationship, if you separate them, the total is over 100. So that's what they did in this study. They get a married couple, and they take the fellow in this room and the lady in this room, and they ask them this question. 75%, so three out of every four couples, it adds up. The, somebody said, you know, when they, when they put their two numbers together, it adds up to over 100%. I find that fascinating. I really do. That's, uh, you know, my immediate, when I, when I was thinking, well, what would I answer? My immediate was 50%. You know, like, well, of course, I'm, I contribute 50 and I asked Kenzie and, you know, she didn't think quite so much. So, uh, you know, maybe I don't. I, we, we had a little discussion about what exactly is relationship. What, is that, what does that mean? <laughs> but, you know, um, <clears> the <throat> question is, is what would happen to us. On average, couples can come up with 11 of their own contributions to the relationship and only one of their partner's. That's some staggering numbers right there in my mind. I mean, you start doing percentages, and that, that, that is a lot more. I, Eleven of my own I can come up with, but I can only come up with one that my partner come up with. On average, that's, that's true, and I'm sure that this was part of that same study. Some of that, you know, you can think of information discrepancy. I, I know everything that I've done, and maybe I can't see everything that my spouse has done. I get reminded of that fairly often. You know, you just see the things that don't get done. You don't see the things that get done. Well, maybe 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 that's true. Maybe that's true. But anyway. <clears throat> uh this is something else uh that he's found through and these are these are all studies. This is all um uh, you know, social type studies. Your coworkers are twice as good at predicting your own performance as you are. So what they would what they did in this study is they they get you to um, you know, like a year-end review. They get you to, you know, come up with, they, you answer these questions. Then they give it to your coworkers, And then at the end of the following year, who is the better predictor of my performance? It's not ourselves. Uh, it's, it's somebody else. We have the biggest blind spots uh, in evaluating ourselves in areas such as generosity, intelligence, and creativity. Why might that be? Uh, what they would say is that the traits that we view as socially acceptable, uh, we tend to think that we're better at those things. We tend to, you know, increase our own worth in those areas. Uh, we want to, you know, we're, everybody wants to think that we're good people, you know. Uh, so you might, uh, you might think about it like this, well, you know, well, of course I'm generous, I gave five dollars some lady two years ago. Of course, I'm generous. Well, what scale? What scale are we using? That that that's the question. What scale am I using? Because I know what I have done, but I don't know everything that you've done. But I know what I've done. So uh, again, we tend to inflate our own numbers in those areas. And then this is something else that I think you know when we're talking about this lesson and what. Uh, in our own perceptions of ourselves, and how do we get better because that that 's the question is how do how do i if I fall under this category if if me and my wife are a part of this seventy five percent that 's not good all right I, at least i don 't think it's good and then if I, if if me and my wife or if I fall in this right here where I can come up with more of my own contributions to my relationship or or even here like I can come up with more of what I contribute to our group than you can come up with or I can come up with more of what I do than what you do. That, that's really—I uh, don't know. That's, in my mind, that's that's not positive. All right. So the question is, how do we get better? How, how do we how do we break down some of this in our own thinking and in our own mind and try to see ourselves objectively and clearly? So this is another thing that he said. And I, I don't have the numbers tied to this, uh, but I remember he said this in this interview: is people, you know. You don't typically, or we don't typically like to give feedback, positive or negative. You, we we all see the negative side of it. Well, I just I don't have that conversation. You know, uh, y'all see me doing something crazy, and you're like, oh, man, I, I'm a fool you with know, him. You know that that's a that's a train wreck. I got to go talk to Andrew about this. He's going to get mad, or he's going to whatever. Or I just have to <laughs> I have to spend my time whatever that is. But we see the negative side, but the positive side. Uh, what this guy would say is you know we don't want to be viewed as um I'm trying to think of the proper way to say that in here but we don't want to be uh viewed as someone that's all the time uh sucking up to somebody else you know that we're uh or we just don't enjoy that side of it this is one thing and this guy does this kind of stuff for a living and <clears throat> they did a uh a study looking at uh, coming up with a user manual. So if you are, if you were a boss, for instance, and you were going to get, you were going to write somebody a user manual to come in, if they were going to come to work for you, what do you need to know if you're going to work for me? Okay. Uh, this guy only predicted a third of what his colleagues said that somebody coming in new would know, and I'm thinking this guy does this for a living. And he only came up with a third of what his co-workers said about him that somebody would need to know or want to know. And i like, well, okay. <laughs> That's interesting. This study was done by this lady uh, at a Stanford university. And um, they're studying the uh, bias, blind spot, perception of bias and self versus others. So uh, this is this is trying to see... Uh, The easiest one for me to think about is uh, hostile media, all right? Am am I biased, am I prone to being swayed by this more or less than someone else, okay? So am am I uh, biased in those ways? So the first study, this graph is the first study. So this is Stanford students comparing themselves to the average American. So they're saying the average American is more, uh, is perceived uh, susceptibility. So they're susceptible to these things way more than me, the average American, all right? You get to the second study, it's the Stanford students versus another Stanford student, all right? Same results. You know, it's, it's the same as this. They're not near susceptible, or they're not as susceptible as someone else, but the gaps close a little bit, so there's not as so. If if the gap was, you know, what is that, six to uh, seven and a half, it closes. This 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 bar comes up a little bit, and this bar comes down a little bit. If we're comparing to our peers, okay, so that's what they were looking at. Is, so if I compare to my peers, how do I view myself? So uh, again, I think that's you know, if we're thinking about. Uh, you know, for our, for us, uh, you know, inside of here, how do we, how do we rate that? San Francisco Airport. So this is just—they went to the San Francisco Airport, did the same thing, same results as the first study. They're just saying, hey, random person, uh, are you, uh, are you as susceptible to these things as the next guy walking down through here? Same results as the first one. This is the one that I really, really found fascinating, all right? Ninety-one Stanford students, and they're comparing themselves to other Stanford students. So they're asked the same exact set of questions in the first study, all right? Then they're told 70 to 80% of individuals consistently rate themselves better than average on qualities that they perceive as positive and conversely evaluate themselves as having less than average amount of characteristics characteristics they believe are negative. All right. Originally, eighty-seven percent of the participants rated themselves originally as being better than average. So they're saying, "I'm better than the next guy. I'm not as susceptible to these things uh, than the next guy." So after they were told that seventy-eight percent of individuals rate themselves this way, um, they were then asked on the second page to rate how objective that they had been in their original ratings. said they'd they'd been objective and held to their numbers. 13% said they were too modest. That they actually should have given themselves better ratings than they gave originally. Does anybody in here think they're immune to this? I certainly don't think I am. I'm telling you that when I read through this this was this was a you know this is one of these uh, study papers so you know results conclusions and all those things it took me a while to read through this whole thing and when I got to this I was just like man that is wild cuz you you can kind of see like if somebody asked me to come in and take this test or whatever and I'm just I'm just answering these these questions and yeah I'm I, I'm better off than <laughs> I've got to be better than the average. You know what I mean. So I, I'm not near susceptible, or I, I'm I'm a I'm more generous, or I'm more uh, you know creative, or I'm more intelligent than the average person. I you know all the rest of these folks out here, yeah, they're susceptible to the to the mainstream media, but I'm not. I I only think those things that are true. Of course, I've got all the information. I've got the correct information, and they're the ones that that can be susceptible to this. And then you know, so I can see myself doing that and then I'm then I get to here, and I'm thinking, Well, there's no way that I would hold to my original numbers. But see the study says that sixty three percent of ninety one students, this is a pretty big sample size, sixty three percent of folks, basically, would say yeah. And then another thirteen would say, Well, actually I'm better than I told you originally. I'm just telling you that that is very, very fascinating when you really think through what that means. And 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 None of us in here should think that we're immune to this. I re- I really believe that I, you know, at least I certainly know that I'm not. The Bible talks a lot about this. The Bible talks a lot about self-deception, talks a lot about uh, this topic, and so that's what we'll finish out talking about this morning. Galatians six and in verse three, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing. He deceives himself. James 1, and in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. First 1 John. First John 1, and in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Revelation 3. This is the lukewarm church there in Laodicea. Revelation 3, beginning in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with him on my throne as I also overcame and sat down on my father, with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so if you go back to verse 17, because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. So they have deceived themselves. They're saying, I don't need anything uh, I've got everything I need. And, of course, I think this is in a spiritual sense. But they don't realize. He says, and you, and, and, but you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. All right? Uh, and he's telling them, look, you need me. You need to buy gold refined in the fire, the white garments you need to be clothed, to cover up the shame of your nakedness. And then he tells them, and anoint your, your eyes with eye salve that you may see. I don't know the image y'all get, but I, you know, I just get this image of, of of something, some kind of salve that they're able to put on their eyes so that they can see clearly. Because right now, obviously, they can't see clearly. They don't understand that they need him, but he's telling them, uh, "You need to anoint your eyes so that you can see." And then he tells them there, verse twenty: "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me." And so, in my mind, this is this is. They've, they've decided they don't need him. He's telling them, yeah, you do need me. Uh, you need to be able to see clearly, and guess what? If you seek me, I will be found. Um, I think about, I, I remember, I think most everybody in here knows Kyle Hall, and I remember uh, very vividly uh, him praying one day, and a part of his prayer was, I'm going to get the wording wrong, but uh, from exactly what he said. But the gist of it was that he he was praying that God would allow uh, him to see anything in his life that wasn't right and give him time to straighten that thing those things out. You know, so there's there's acknowledgement there. There's acknowledgement there. that hey, even though I'm trying, there might be some things that aren't right in my life, and please give me time to repent. I want to make those things right. And I you know, uh, I think that should should all be all of our attitude in that way of is um, even though I'm trying, I know that there could be some things that I'm just not seeing right now, and I, I want to make those things right. I want to do to do right. So why, and you know, and I think about, okay, well, how, uh, how do we work on this? How do I uh, get better at this? Uh, and, of course, we've already mentioned the acknowledgement of, uh, to God that we need Him out of revelation. You know, this idea, you know, uh, seek Him, uh, we need Him. Uh, but I think that's why another reason God's put us together because He knows. He knows that we will deceive ourselves. He knows how we operate. He knows our mind. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, of course, the passage we know is, you know, the chapter of love. Let's begin there in verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind, does not envy Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but enjoice, rejoices in truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And so, uh, this is telling you how love behaves. And then when I think about that applied to one another, love does not rejoice in iniquity. So if there's iniquity here, I'm not going to rejoice in that with you. Uh, that's not, something that I'm going to take pleasure in, love does not do that, uh, but rejoices in truth. So I will rejoice with you in truth. Uh, love will do that. And so, you know, us, part of us being together uh, is to to show the proper love to one another. In my Bible, it's back one page, First Corinthians 12 and in verse 25, it's talking about... Um, you know the body working. We're going to kind of pick up in the middle of a thought, but uh, Paul says here that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Go back to Galatians 6. We were just here a minute ago. We plucked a verse uh, out of the middle of this idea, but if you go to Galatians six, beginning of verse one, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. And so here we see some of those responsibilities that we have uh, to one another, bearing one another's burdens, uh, restoring uh, a brother. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5 and in verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. And so and this is a very broad Uh, verse especially when you consider it in light of our topic today uh, warn those who are unruly comfort the faint hearted and uphold the weak and so some of our uh, responsibilities there uh, to one another James chapter 5 James chapter 5 and in verse 16 confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much verse 19 brethren if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone turns him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so here you have this idea of you know, uh, a brother wondering, a brother uh, not doing what he should, and we're um, turning him from the air of his way is what the responsibility there is. Proverbs 27, we're going to go to our Old Testament for a minute. Proverbs twenty-seven, and in verse seventeen, a passage I think once we read, you'll all be familiar with, is "Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend." And so, you know, you get this idea of of battling it out, you know, and um, obviously done uh, correctly and with love, uh, as we our attitudes. Uh, as they should be. Uh, you know, we talked about, uh, we were standing outside talking a little bit about this after class, you know, uh, this idea of uh, the benefit of us all acting like we should and being able to study through things like we were studying through this morning, the eldership and, and you know, battling one another's minds in these ways uh, and helping one another come to those correct conclusions uh, that God uh, would have us Uh, come to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 33, Ezekiel 33, beginning in verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, a wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. I was reading this, I thought back to Acts 20. Uh, We brought this uh, passage up several times the past few weeks, but Acts 20 and verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day, that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And so, you know, Paul's saying, I'm washing my hands. I I I have I have said everything that needs to be said. That's what he's saying, I've declared to you the whole counsel of God. I've not left anything out, nothing that would have been hard or easy to talk about. He's saying, I've talked about it all. Uh, and so uh, Paul is, you know, washing himself of that. And then then I think about uh, Paul uh, and dealing with Peter there in the book of Galatians. you know, I think we're probably all uh, somewhat familiar uh, with that passage. But the responsibilities we have for one another, and just think through the wisdom of God putting us together, giving us one another to help us check ourselves, check our thinking, uh, to uh, make sure that we're warning each other if there's anything that we maybe perceive as out of line. And go to Proverbs. You know, I think, kind of wrapped up in this, we can tell that that we do need we do need some outside help. We can't leave it all up to up to our own. We're uh, we're going to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Uh, is what at least the the data seems to suggest. Proverbs 11 and in verse 14, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Chapter 12 and in verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Chapter 13 and in verse 10. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Uh, Chapter 15 and in verse 22. Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Chapter 19 and in verse 20. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Chapter 20 and in verse 18. Plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel wage war. Couldn't help when I was reading through all this, I couldn't help but think of uh, Solomon's boy in uh, First Kings. First Kings chapter twelve. Um, oh my bad, Second Kings, Second Kings, I believe. I think I'm in the wrong. No, is it First Kings? My bad. Okay, I was in, the, my bad. I was looking in the wrong chapter. All right. So yeah, let's let's read through this uh, together. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to read this without uh, laughing, but. You know, the re- I think the reality is, is that, you know I, get, I guess think through it for yourself. When when you when you're struggling with something in life, when you're trying to make decisions, who do you go ask for help? Who do you go ask their opinion? Is it somebody that you probably know is gonna agree with you anyway? Or is it somebody that you know is gonna tell you their the their uh, true opinion, no matter if it's going to hurt your feelings or not. The second person is the hardest one to go to, at least it is for me. So I think we're all uh, can be prone to, you know, I call them backslapping committees. You know, we just put people around us that are going to agree with us. Yes, men. You could, you know, you phrase that in a lot of different ways uh, because that's what's easy. That's what somebody's confirming what I already think what I already want to do. Uh, but the person seeking the counsel, seeking wise counsel as uh book of Proverbs is telling us, it, it is wise. You know, uh, that's what we need to be doing. Um, and of course we see uh, Rehoboam deciding something different here. But let's read through this. First Kings 12 beginning in verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem for all of Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt. That they sent and called him, that Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burden, the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which you put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, and he said, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to these people today, and serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, they will will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your Father put on us. Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your Father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little fingers shall be thicker than my Father's waist. And now, whereas my Father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My Father chastised you with whips, and I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had uh, directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whip, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord has spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So who did he go to? Uh, Verse 1, Then the young man who had grown up with him spoke to him. So he he sought by his counsel, and he didn't listen. uh, Didn't like what he heard. Uh, And so therefore, uh, he consults his friends, uh, people that I suspect he knows are going to tell him what he wants to hear. Way well, of conclusion, is some things for us to uh, kind of remember, as we've already talked about, is we have a tough time. We have a very hard time seeing ourselves clearly. Uh, and the reality is, is we need people around us that love us enough to straighten us out. Uh, and we need to love one another enough to play that role in each other's lives. You know, that's, that's something that we need to be willing to do. What it looks to me like is we're going to have to be willing to kind of ask for some feedback from time to time. We're, you know, uh, if you think about, you know, what uh, we talked about kind of earlier is, you know, that, that's an uncomfortable thing for other people to do uh, is to just kind of give feedback without any uh, prompt being prompted to do so. Uh, one of the things the guy that Adam Grant guy said that he would do is ask, you know after he gave a lecture got done with some some kind of any kind of thing he would ask uh several people to give him one piece of it you know one thing that he could do better I think that's uh that's something worth us taking note of that's not too burdensome <laughs> you not asking somebody to rate your whole life but hey, just tell me something I can do better on maybe that's something we need to do more of uh just just from time to time uh 'cause Again, it's hard for us to, to see ourselves in that way. Um, and we talked about this last week, and I, I thought about this as I was putting this together. It's our job to make this as easy, easy on others as possible. And we talked about this when we were talking about the eldership last week. This idea of being hospitable was not only uh, just about you know, entertaining people in your home, but it was this attitude of hospitality, this attitude of being welcoming. Uh, and look, we could all probably get better at that. I know I can. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we don't we don't like to hear negative feedback. I get that, and I think that at least for me, that maybe is why I'm I. You know, I'm not as hospitable in that way as I should. But um, you know, maybe wrapped up in all this is something else for us to do is to make ourselves more welcoming in this way, so that we can improve, so that people are willing to come to us and say, "Hey, have you have you thought through that?" or um, have you thought about it in this way? So, well, that's the lesson this morning. I appreciate your uh, kind attention, and I hope that it was helpful uh, to you in some way. Uh, certainly it's is, is helpful for me to think through uh, things like this. But if there's anything that we can uh, do for you, if we can pray uh, with you or, or for you, we'd ask that you would come forward as we stand and sing.